Welcome to Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Your Pursuit of Happiness. I'm Laura. I'm Cole. Today, we have Katie Don, who is the head of Brexit policy at the British Irish Chamber of Commerce. Hi, Katie. You're very welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for joining us. Could you tell us a little about you and your, your background? Yeah, so I am the head of Brexit policy with the British Irish Chamber of Commerce. It's a role I've been in now for about three and a half years. Um, So as part of what I do is I engage with our members on all issues uh, Brexit related. I keep them informed. I answer their questions and I help manage that membership relationship on Brexit. So within the chamber, we have a Brexit subcommittee, which is a cross-sectoral committee uh, represented by members from all the various sectors that we uh, represent. So infrastructure, agri-food, financial and professional services, ICT, um, higher education and research, culture, arts, sports and tourism, um, and kind of the main energy and environment would be another one. So it's it's a really diverse and strong group so we engage with them in terms of keeping them informed but then also taking on board their views and making sure that they're kind of passed on um, to the relevant people in in power I suppose so either at official or or political level. Um, In addition to kind of the membership side of things I also lead on the Chamber's advocacy and development of Brexit policy. So you've had two kind of landmark publications on Brexit policy since I joined the chamber. The first one was in 2017, which was our first how to make Brexit work for all papers, which was called uh, Big Principles Principles for a Strong Brexit Partnership, which um, set forward a future trade relationship uh, between the UK and EU that would, I suppose, achieve the objectives as they were at that point. I mean, obviously, things have moved on a lot since then. And then most recently, um, just after Christmas, we published our second How to Make Brexit Work for All paper, which is called our Signposts for Services, which um, provides a roadmap for negotiators to follow in order to secure a comprehensive and ambitious deal on services as um, declared in the Joint Political Declaration. So that's kind of what I do now. Before I took up this role, I was um, I worked in the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade on issues relating to Northern Ireland. So I was working in the department at the time of the Brexit referendum. So it was something that was very much on my radar in my previous role. And prior to that, I had a completely different career altogether. And I actually worked in TV production where I was an assistant producer and researcher on a number of uh, shows, both in Ireland and the UK. So it's, it's been quite a varied CV. Any shows that we know? Um, I did once work on Top Gear. Um, I worked on it when it kind of came to the end of the Jeremy, Richard and James era. Very good. Katie, for any of our listeners that don't know, what does the British Irish Chamber of Commerce do and who does it support? So the British Irish Chamber of Commerce is the only trade organisation that specifically looks at the bilateral business and trade relationship between the UK and Ireland. It's actually a relatively new organisation. It was only established in 2011 to mark the visit of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II to Ireland. But since then, we've obviously grown in strength and in numbers. Um, The raison d'etre of the chamber is to support, um, grow trade and connectivity between the islands. So, and we do that through a number of ways. So we have, we provide a networking forum for our members, but we also provide kind of 
business support through um, linking our members to the relevant agencies and um, government uh, initiatives that, that require uh, their, that, that deal with, the, with their potential areas. Um, and then also we have a policy wing as well. So we advocate on behalf of our members um, on policy issues relating to the sectors that we cover. So at the moment we cover eight sectors. So we have life science, agri-food, um, energy and environment, higher education and research, financial and professional services, ICT, infrastructure and culture, arts, sports and tourism. And then, as I mentioned already, we have an overarching Brexit committee. So we're very busy. Our members come from both the UK and Ireland. Uh, the one thing they have in common is that they are interested in the growth um, of trade and prosperity between the island. And that trade at the moment is worth, I think, just over 80, 80 billion euro a year. And it supports around 400,000 jobs evenly spread between the two islands. So as an organization, we believe that there, you know, it's the nature of the relationship between the UK and Ireland that goes much further than just simple trade and business. There are so many cultural and personal and family links between these islands that, you know, we are interconnected. We do business in the same way. We have very similar attitudes. And all of that is a fertile ground to um, help support and grow trade. I suppose for anyone listening, it's probably going to be a little bit later, but uh, we're recording this on a, on a fairly auspicious day in terms of Brexit. Um, do you think Brexit has fundamentally changed the relationship between Ireland and Britain for the better or for the worse? It's difficult to say, but I suppose, because Brexit still hasn't happened yet. I think there have, on a political level, there's obviously been strains um, because of Brexit. And, and I think we've all seen that over play out over the past three and a half years or so. I think on a, on a business level, I mean, businesses are very pragmatic and they will want to buy and sell to and from um, the best people that they can. I mean, I think the UK market is a significant market of 60, 65 million people on the doorstep with very similar business attitudes. It's a very easy market for Irish exporters to um, set up in and to trade in. Um, likewise, in terms of for suppliers and so I mean the thing around especially with goods trade we actually buy more from the UK than we sell in services it's the opposite but the, it's our very similar tastes and attitudes and legal structures and 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 I suppose you know at a kind of public policy level business attitudes means that it's been very very easy for businesses and people to do commerce and trade um with each other and I think businesses still want to do that like we don't see many of our members and we want to move out of the UK we want to um, kind of completely um, divert from there and find new markets there might be a part of that as part of their Brexit plan but they still want to maintain their presence and their trade with the UK and vice versa for our UK members so I think ultimately how Brexit will impact the bilateral relationship will really depend on the outcome of the future trade talks and what can be achieved in those talks in terms of the final future trade agreement. Um, within kind of financial services and fintech, if, if you were one of those sectors, I suppose, within Ireland, uh, knowing what we know now and uh, that we don't know what it's going to look like, what the future relationship will look like, is there any kind of action plan that people should be following to manage the impact of Brexit? 
So, I mean, we're still saying the same thing to our members that we've been saying for the past three years or so is, you know, plan and prepare. Um, I think certain things, while there's still a lot of uncertainty as to what the final relationship might look like, I think there's a much stronger indication of what direction of travel we're heading in. And it looks like we are looking, moving towards something like a, a standard free trade agreement similar to the Canadian or the Japanese model. In which case, for financial services companies, they need to look at how they can service the UK um, outside of the EU passporting model. So for financial services members, as with other members, we've long been advocating for them to look at their exposure to the UK. And if it's significant, maybe look at either putting boots on the ground in the UK or forming joint ventures or looking at kind of some kind of business model that will ensure your access into the UK can be maintained. Now, depending on where we end up on the 31st of December um, this year, it might be that the UK unilaterally grants access to its market for EU financial services firms as it was planning to do in the lead up to um, the last Brexit deadline when a no deal Brexit looked like a, a possibility. So there might be similar measures to that, but we can't, there's no guarantee around that. And it's likely going to be too late in the day when we find out whether that will be happening um, for businesses to risk not having any kind of backup plan in place that they can action. Uh, what we found is actually with a lot of financial services companies, especially those in the highly regulated sectors, that they already have fairly well-developed plans because the regulators demanded it for of them. But there are other issues to be aware of. So things around the awarding of an adequate an adequacy decision to the UK um, to allow the continued data flows uh, between the EU and the UK is going to be crucial, not just for financial services and fintech, but for you know trade more generally, um, kind of. The sharing of data almost underpins all our trade these days. So there are other things to be looking out for um, throughout this year. But I think, you know, from, from, from both perspectives, if you're a UK financial services company, the EU is likely going to be still a significant market for you. And if you're an Irish financial services company, the UK is still going to be a significant market. So it's, it's looking at innovative ways to ensure that that market can be maintained and making sure you're familiar with kind of the equivalence regimes that are in place um, at an EU level and, may, and, you know, having the plans because, you know, it looks at the moment like that might be the model we're going down. So so planning to operate with the UK under an equivalence regime, I think it'd be a really sensible step to be doing at this point. Mm. There's been so much doom and gloom discussed when it comes to Brexit. But are there any upsides or opportunities that Irish companies should be focusing on now and into the future? Yeah, I mean, aside, like there are obviously um, going to be job and investment opportunities into the UK. You know, it is an opportunity for businesses to maybe expand and think differently about how they service the UK markets. So, you know, we're not, we, we would never recommend um, to any of our members that they close up shop in, in one jurisdiction and set up in the other. What we would say is, you know, keep your operation going in where you currently are, but maybe look at expanding into a new market and, and, and ensuring you can service that market from that base so that you're fairly well protected. And that helps create jobs. It, it drives investment. And I think that, that could be a really positive um, outcome for some businesses from Brexit. But then there's also, we've seen Irish companies working with UK counterparts for collaborative purposes businesses in their nature are generally quite competitive but when there's such a significant challenge being faced you'll find that a lot 
a lot of businesses are more prepared to work together to try and find common solutions um, that they can all benefit from. We see this in our policy committees and fora within the chamber. We've also seen it on a larger scale through some of our, the sectors that we work with. So say in the energy sector, or the ICT sector, we're seeing we collaborate with the sector representative bodies in the UK between their members and our members looking at the challenges and finding common solutions. We've also seen it extensively in the higher education and research sector where research collaboration has underpinned um, a lot of university um, research over the last number of years through Horizon 2020 and its predecessors. And those um, institutions finding new ways to work together, so whether it's through joint professorships or, or other uh, innovations, finding ways that they can continue to work together and collaborate because they understand and they, they realize the benefits that can be achieved from working together. So I suppose there's, um, and then kind of more externally, I think businesses now are more aware of how international trade works than they probably possibly have ever been since the establishment of the single market. And then kind of outside of looking at the pure bilateral relationship, that can give businesses the confidence and the knowledge to maybe expand to other markets entirely, knowing now what they need to know and having the structures in place to um, potentially fill customs, declarations and regulatory alignment checks and all that with the UK if they have that in place for one market it, it opens up the rest of the world to them once they know how to do it. Um, outside of Brexit any advice for uh, financial services firms or particularly kind of startup Irish fintechs that are looking to win more business in the UK? I think, you know, as I just said, I think having a presence there would be a huge benefit. Um, join organizations like the British Irish Chamber of Commerce. I mean, one of the key things we do for our members is provide a network to key business um, leaders within the UK and Ireland. We hold, host a number of four around various different topics, and we pride ourselves on being able to introduce our members to the right people that they want to meet. So I think joining an organization like the British Irish Chamber can be a huge benefit. And then also, I mean, the, the thing is, the UK is going to remain a, a fintech hub. It is going to, you know, it, it has a strong presence in the sector. So engage with it. You know, don't don't turn your back away from the UK. Be open to it. Things will change, but businesses are pragmatic and they will find a way through. And once there is certainty on the process in the process, then you will find I think a lot of businesses just readjusting, doing what they need to do, and then continuing to trade on. And and that's what we support anyway. And finally, Katie, if any of our listeners want to know more about the Chamber, what should they do next? And are there any particular events or resources they should check out? Um, I think the best resource is our website, which is um, BritishIrishChamber.com. And then on that, we have an events page. We have our publications. Um, we have a huge events schedule coming up this year that we will be engaging all members and, and pre-members, as we like to call them, alike. Um, but then also maybe contact my colleague, uh, Neil D, D who's kind of heads up our enterprise development space, and I'm sure would be happy to speak to any new members who'd be interested in joining. And uh, Neil's email is neil.dee at britishirishchamber.com but we're always welcoming to new members and uh, we'd be happy to answer any questions that they might have Great, Katie, thanks a million for joining us Thank you Thanks very much guys Thanks for joining us today on Your Pursuit of Happiness the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry 
For show notes and other goodies, go to www.toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. That's toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and feel free to rate and review the show. We appreciate your support. See you next time.